Well, as the new kid in high school, Daniel was bullied by some of the other boys. And it was a rough start for him until he met an older man in his apartment complex who offered to teach him self-defense. And Daniel was excited about the prospect of learning to protect himself from the bullies until the older man just had him do some chores around his house, cleaning his cars, painting his fence. And it didn't quite match Daniel's expectations of becoming a martial arts master and a self-defense guru. There he was just learning these things. And he was pretty disappointed. Doubts began to set in about the whole training process until old man Miyagi told him to wax on and wax off as he started throwing punches his way. Now, you may recognize that as the Karate Kid, right? Fictitious story, but a true-to-life experience. Many of us have been in that place where doubt and disappointment sets in during the days, and especially during the training process. We're in a series called Training Camp. It's part of our bigger year-long initiative as we pursue Jesus every week this year to get to know Jesus better. But in this series, we're learning how to be trained as Jesus followers, as his student disciples choosing to follow him. And if you've ever done any kind of training, you know that at some point, it seems like what you're training for just doesn't match what you're hoping to do with the training. And sometimes when that happens, often when that happens, doubt sets in. Friend, do you ever have doubt? You ever have doubts in life? Do you ever have doubts in your faith journey? Would it surprise you or shock you to know that I have doubts? Even as the preacher? Listen, doubt is a normal part of being a human. It's part of life. Doubt does not mean that your faith is immature or that you have a weaker faith. In fact, doubt is part of the growing process. It's part of the overflow of thoughtful examination. Doubt, simply put, is uncertainty. It's lacking certainty in certain areas of life. And if you're looking for a reason to doubt God, you won't have to look very far. There are things that will challenge your belief, that will challenge your certainty. Maybe for you, it's some of the miracles in the Bible. I mean, we've all had moments, though, beyond that, when God just didn't seem to meet our expectations for how we thought he should be taking care of us. Perhaps it was the death of a dream, Or the pain of a broken relationship. Maybe it was a failure you did not see coming that sidetracked you. Maybe it's just the fact that life has turned out very differently than you thought it would, than you thought it should. We need to understand, though, at the outset, that doubt and disbelief are not the same thing. They're different. Doubt and unbelief are different things. In fact, we could say it this way, that doubt is the struggle to believe. It's wrestling. It's desiring to believe, but wrestling with it, having uncertainty even as we pursue. But unbelief is the refusal to believe. It's just outright saying, I don't care. I don't want that. Doubt is the search for truth, wanting to know more. Unbelief is the denial of truth. I have my own truth. I don't need to explore that. Doubt says, I'm confused. I'm not sure. But 
Unbelief says, I just don't care. I have my own truth and I don't want to lean in. Now, Jesus was always pretty tough on those with unbelief, on those who refused to listen, to lean into what he had to say, for those who just outright denied him and opposed him. He was pretty tough on them. But for the doubters, for those who simply lacked certainty, those who were exploring and wrestling, Jesus was so kind. He was so tender and gentle to them. He invited them in. He invited them to have conversations at the table. In fact, you could say that Jesus hung a sign that said, doubters welcome here. And so do we here at OCC. If you have doubts, you're in the right place. Because to doubt is to be human. In fact, we would even say there is no road to spiritual maturity that does not travel through doubt. You can't get to spiritual maturity with Jesus without going through the land of doubt at least a few times on that journey. It's kind of like if you were to travel up to Indianapolis for something. You're going to take a day trip to Indy and you're leaving from Louisville. You can't get to Indy from Louisville without traveling through the land of corn. You're going to pass some cornfields. It's just inevitable. You're going to have some boring corn-filled stretches of the journey. Well, on your road to spiritual maturity, you're going to have some days of doubt along the way. And we see this illustrated in several places with several people throughout the Bible, but perhaps never more clearly than with a guy named John the Baptizer. Now, you may recognize him from the Bible as John the Baptist, but that can get a little confusing. He was not a Baptist as opposed to a Methodist or a Presbyterian. He was not part of a denomination. John was the baptizer, the immerser. Now, to understand his story, we need to know that John had been out in the wilderness, out in the desert, hanging with God, growing in his faith, learning from God. And then he returned to where the people were and he began preaching to the people. And he preached a message of repentance. Repentance simply means turn. Turn from your sin and turn to God. And he was preaching this message that the kingdom was coming, that, that God was near, that, hey, turn away from your sins, turn to God. And he began challenging people. He would challenge those people who had unbelief, disbelief, who refused to lean in. To the doubters, he welcomed them, but to the unbelievers, he challenged them. And he wasn't afraid to challenge anyone and everyone, including people of high-ranking positions, including the king. Now, to understand how big of a deal this was, we need to understand a little bit of history for the kingdom there that they were under. You had King Herod at this time, but Herod was Herod Jr., if you will. His daddy was King Herod at the time that Jesus was born. And you may remember back to the Christmas story when Jesus was born and then the Magi, the wise men, came and traveled in. And they asked the king about this newborn young king. And Herod didn't like that. He didn't want any threat to his throne. He didn't want any rival king challenging his kingship or the kingship of his children after he were to be gone. So he had all the young boys, two years and younger, slaughtered. Now, Jesus and his family escaped from that time. But that was Daddy Herod. Well, Daddy Herod had some sons, and two of those sons, one was Philip Herod, which gets confusing, so we'll just call him Phil. And then you had Herod, Herod, Herod Jr., Well, Philip married his niece named Herodias. Just hang with me. I know it's like doing archaeology, it's like doing genealogy in Arkansas. I mean, it's just, 
it's messy. It gets worse. Oh, sorry. Listen, normally Kentucky's the brunt of the jokes. I'm like loving on y'all, right? Like, so anyway, it, it just, and it gets worse from here, right? So Herod marries his niece, Herodias. Uh, sorry, Philip marries his niece, Herodias. But then Herod comes over, visits his brother, sees Herodias and is like, oh, she's a looker. And they have an affair. And then Herod and Herodias divorce their spouses and they marry each other. And so now you have Herod the junior married to his niece who used to be his sister-in-law, who's now his wife. And John the baptizer looks at this and you can imagine what the preacher would say. He's like, man, there ain't nothing about that that's okay or good. He's preaching against everyone. He's like, you guys are just... Like, that's just a one big mess. Like, none of that is how you honor God. In fact, just do the opposite, and then you'll be honoring God. Like, this is just messy. Well, Herodias doesn't like that, so she convinces her husband, Herod, to throw John in prison. And that's where we pick up the story today. You got it? Hang with me? All right, here we go. So the disciples. Now, a disciple is a student. But it's a student who chooses to follow. Unlike some of you high school students who are forced into school or some of you younger people forced to go to school each day, the disciple had chosen to be a student and follower of the teacher. So the students of John the baptizer told John about everything Jesus was doing. Jesus was out teaching and preaching and healing and performing miracles. And all the while, John is sitting in jail. So... John called for two of his students and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Now this question is astounding when we consider who it's from. I mean, John the baptizer wondering, Jesus, are you the real deal? I mean, this is John who, when he was still in mommy's belly... And his mom was Elizabeth, cousin of Mary. When Mary was pregnant with Jesus, he was in her belly. She comes to visit, and John is leaping for joy in his mama's belly at the other baby, right? This is John who, when he comes back from the wilderness and he's preaching, he sees Jesus. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God is approaching. He is the one. He tells his own followers, go follow him. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one who says that Jesus must become greater. I must become less. I'm not even fit to interact with this guy. I mean, Jesus is the one. This is John who's been pointing the way to Jesus all along. But now that he's been in prison for about 10 months at this point, Doubt has started to creep in. Listen, Jesus, I've been spending the last few years telling everybody about you. Am I wrong? Am I wasting my life? Are you not the one? I mean, really what he's wanting is like, Jesus, are you the one who's going to take power and like get me out of jail? What's going to happen here? And we know, like we get it. When circumstances change, especially when they change for the worse, we can begin to lose our confidence in God. You know, often we want God to either change our bad circumstances or at the very minimum, explain to us what he's up to. Like, God, at least clue me in so I can, like, know that something good is going to come from this. Seldom does God do either of those. Most often what God does is use our circumstances, even the bad ones, to change us. So, John's two students found Jesus and they said to him, John the baptizer sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus replied, at that time he was curing many people of their diseases, their illnesses, their evil spirits. 
And he restored sight to many who were blind. And Jesus told John's students, go back to John and tell him what you have seen. Tell him what you've heard. It says to the blind, or the blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached even to the poor. Jesus tells John, look at what you've seen. Listen to what you've heard. And that's exactly what Jesus invites us to do. Look at what God has done. Listen to what Jesus has said. Listen to what he said of you. Look at what he's done even in your life. See, what Jesus invited John to do is what he invites us to do as well. He invites us to look back at God's faithfulness throughout history. And when we do that, when we see how God has moved in the history of the world and even in the history of our lives, then we gain courage and confidence to step forward trusting in God even when the circumstances are bleak. Even when things are different than we would hope they would be, we have courage to move forward with faith in God when we see that God is the faithful one throughout history. So friend, how have you seen God move in your life? In what ways have you seen God answer prayer? I mean, that's one of the clearest ways we can examine the activity of God in our lives. It's by looking at the things we had prayed for and then seeing how God has shown up to answer those. And one of the best ways to do that is to keep a prayer journal. And it doesn't have to be something fancy. It doesn't have to be some special thing. You go to the dollar store, you get a cheap, cheap notebook, and you simply write the date and what you're praying. And then you continue to pray that. You continue to turn back to that. And when you see God answer that, you write the date and you write his response. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was really great about that, but I need to confess that I'm not nearly as good at that as I wish I were. So I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. I'm going to invite you to join me in something that we would all benefit from doing. And that's to get better about journaling our prayers and God's response to them. And when we do that, we'll have a record to look back on to see this is how God showed up. This is what God said. This is how the Spirit prompted me. This is what God led me to do. And that will give us the courage and the confidence to step out in faith, even in difficult circumstances, because we'll be reminded how God is always faithful to us. Because the reality is that God often challenges us. See, one of the things God often uses to grow our faith is disappointment. God often grows our faith by disappointing our expectations. Maybe you had the expectation that once you surrender your life to Jesus, everything will be better. You surrender to Jesus and that sin you wrestled with will just go away. That you surrender to Jesus and that broken relationship with your spouse or your kid or your parent or your sibling or your friend or your boss or whoever, that it's just going to get better. You surrender to Jesus and suddenly there will be a windfall in your life. You won't even play the lottery, but somehow you'll win it and you'll never have money woes again, right? Jesus never promises any of that. In fact, what Jesus does promise is he makes these statements like, listen, if the world hates me, they're probably going to hate you too. He says, take heart, you're going to have many troubles in this world, but I've overcome, so just stick with me and I'll see you through. He says, get used to suffering because that's the way 
it's going to be. He says, carry a cross and die to yourself. And by the way, if people persecute me, they're probably going to persecute you as well. That's what Jesus promises. He never promises that we won't have dark days. He never promises that we won't go through deep valleys. But he does promise that when we are in the deepest and darkest of those valleys, he will still be right there with us, seeing us through. Even using those circumstances to change us for our good and his glory. That's the promise of our God. So John asks, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one we've been expecting? I mean, my, my doubt is starting to creep in the way here. I, I've been saying you're the one, but now I'm not sure this jail cell is getting old. It's getting stinky. And Jesus answers by quoting a prophecy. By turning to an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah and quoting a passage from him. It's the same passage that Jesus quoted at the onset of his ministry. Luke records it for us. When Jesus was in his hometown and he was in the temple, he opened the scroll of Isaiah. They didn't have Bibles like we have. They had large scrolls. And he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he opened it to this passage. And he read this. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. Basically he announced, I am the one. I'm the one you've been waiting for. This is all about me. And here it is. It's all coming true. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead have oxygen in their lungs and they're snorting the CO2 out in their nostrils. They're living and breathing again. And he tells John's disciples, tell them what you've seen, tell them what you have heard. But when Jesus quotes this in this context to John through his followers, Jesus omits a very significant phrase, probably the most important phrase for John. Because when Jesus quotes it the second time, he leaves this out. The prisoners are set free. Now, undoubtedly, John would have recognized the omission. I mean, John's in prison. He's probably like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, hold up. Important thing, man. What about prisoners? Bro, I'm in jail. How about rattling the cage? What about these bars holding me in? What about the chains keeping me here? Jesus, what about me? You gonna set me free? Like you forgot a very crucial point, man. Herod, the nut job, his batty wife Herodias, things are not gonna get better for me. Are you going to set me free? But John could not have missed a new thing that Jesus included there. So Jesus took out the prisoners set free, but he gave this. The dead are raised to life. There's no way John would have missed that. Jesus said, John, I know what you're hoping for. I know what you're expecting me to do. But what I'm up to is so much greater than your expectations of me. See, when circumstances turn out differently than we hope, differently than what we want... We all need to choose, I need to choose, I I need to choose daily. If I'm going to look at God through my circumstances and through my expectations, if I'm going to put my expectations on Jesus and 
expect him to do what I think he should do, what I want him to do, if I'm going to look at my circumstances that way, or if I'm going to look at the circumstance in my life through a lens of faith, remembering who Jesus is, what he's done, how he is faithful, how he is bigger and greater and grander, and that he's at work even beyond what I can see. So we can get so turned around because things don't work out the way we think they should. And that creates doubt for us. We have trouble seeing God through all the unmet expectations, through all the messy situations in our life. Jesus told John, Johnny, you're focused on the wrong things. I know the prison cell is not good. I know the food there is terrible. It stinks. It's nasty. I know this is not what you had hoped for. But you're looking at it all wrong. Even when it's bleak, even when it's bad, you got to remember who I am, what I'm up to. And he invites us to do the same thing. So, so often in our lives, if this hand represents God, we have God like way out there. And if this hand represents our circumstances, we're blinded. Our vision gets cloudy trying to see God through all the things going on right here, right in front of our face. And it's just so hard, right, to see God that way and, and to make sense of our circumstances. We're, we're like, we get it backwards. So what we need to do in that moment is we, we got to practice a little spiritual kung fu, right? If God is out there, circumstances here, we need to reverse that. Hi-ya! Right? We, we got we to gotta put our circumstances out there and look at our circumstances through the lens of faith. We got to do a little switcheroo. All right, so you all got to, like, practice this with me, okay? So... One hand out in front, right? Come on, join in. One hand out in front. Now, be careful if somebody is sitting in front of you. Don't punch your neighbor in the back of the head. That just makes her a bad day at church, right? So one hand out in front, that's God. Another hand right here, that's circumstance. We got to do a little kung fu to the devil, a little kung fu to our situation, right? The count of three, one, two, three. Hi-ya! Right? All right, all right, all right, hold on, hold on. This time with spirit, okay? This time, like, you believe that there is a God who raised from the dead who wants you to look at things through a lens of faith in him, all right? So God out there, situation here, kind of three, one, two, three with spirit. hey There we go, all right? Do a little kung fu to the devil, a little kung fu to your circumstances. You got to reverse the script and look at life through a lens of faith in who God is and his faithfulness to you. And suddenly those circumstances look very different. John was in prison and he wanted set free. And he asked Jesus, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus says, yeah. Jesus, you're going to set me free? No. Yes, I'm the Messiah. Get used to the cell. And hold on, because it's probably going to get worse. And it did. At the request of his wife Herodias, King Herod had John beheaded. I'm pretty confident that that was not what John was expecting. Pretty sure that that was not what he was wanting. I'm sure there was probably some level of doubt. I imagine that disappointment was at an all-time high when the sharp sword raised above his neck. But I'm pretty sure all the doubt, all the unmet expectation, all the disappointment was also met with these words that John could not have gotten out of his mind from his friend Jesus. The dead are raised to life. 
What a beautiful promise. What a statement of hope. What good news of God's faithfulness. Your circumstances will not be the end of this story. Friend, you want to know what God uses so often to grow your faith? It'll be disappointment. You want to know what the devil will try to use so often to destroy your faith? Disappointment. The very thing that can dismantle your faith is the same thing God can use to strengthen and develop your faith. This is why after quoting those prophetic words, Jesus said this, God blesses those who do not fall or stumble because of me. Blessed is anyone, Jesus says, who does not fall away because of something they thought I should do for them. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble in their faith because they set their expectations on what they wanted and not on who I am. Blessed is anyone who does not abandon the faith because things turned out differently than they hoped they would. Blessed is anyone who allows their faith to grow through difficult times, who kung fu's their circumstances and trusts in me. And remembers my faithfulness. And some of you are there right now. You're wrestling with the season of doubt. You're wrestling with the season of unmet expectation and disappointment. Situation doesn't match up with the way you thought it would or should. With what you wanted, with what you hoped for, with what you even prayed for. Some of you are bummed because God has not lived up to your agenda for him. But you will be blessed when you acknowledge that God's agenda for you is so much greater than your agenda for you. See, the challenge is when disappointment sets in, it's good friend doubt lags right behind. Does it come in far behind it? I mean, disappointment and doubt, they're they're good buddies. And once disappointment is there, doubt is knocking at the door. When things don't turn out the way we think they should, well, then we begin to have doubts in our faith. We doubt, does God care? Does God even love me? Is God even capable of doing anything here? God, are you silent? God, are you even real? Friend, we got to remember that there is no road to spiritual maturity that does not travel through doubt. And so what this means for us practically is that spiritual maturity, a life of strong, mature faith in Jesus is not a life that is free of doubt, but it is a life that is full of faith. That a life that is full and rich of overflowing faith is what Jesus calls us to. He doesn't call us to a life of certainty. He calls us to a life of trusting him even in the uncertainties of life. So when doubt creeps in, when circumstances are bleak, when disappointment reigns, when things are different than you hoped they would, and when doubt begins to creep into your relationship with God, let me offer this suggestion. Doubt your doubts. Don't doubt your God. Don't doubt who Jesus is. Doubt your doubts. In our culture, there's a strong bias, maybe as strong as it's ever been, against faith. 
We hear things like, well, we should be people of reason and people of science and people of empirical data and, and, and all the facts. And, and that's what we need. That, that faith is antiquated and, and faith is unreasonable. And the reality is, is that's just a dumb statement because every person is a person of faith. Faith and reason are not opposites. In fact, reason is what we use for faith. Everybody puts their faith in something. All of us every day put our faith in something and it's reasonable when we choose wise things and sometimes we choose unwise things. If I see a chair that looks like it can hold me up, I have faith. Faith simply means trust. I have trust that it will hold me up. There are certain chairs made for certain much smaller people that I would not put my trust in. Certain little wooden chairs made for little tiny kids. My frame is just too big for me to trust my weight to something that small. There are certain cars I see traveling in town and I wonder, why is your faith in that thing? (laughs) There are times when I've had some of those vehicles And I didn't have much faith. It was just my only option. I didn't have much trust that it would get me where I was going. I once owned a car where every time I stopped for very long at all, I had to open the hood and disconnect the battery because it would just drain. (laughs) The power steering, the power brakes, they were gone. There was not a lot of trust in that vehicle. Now I drive a better vehicle. And I have trust that most days it's going to get me where I'm going. So I get in and I put my trust in that car to get me where I'm going. And most days it is worthy of my trust. That's a reasonable faith in my car. Except on the days when my kid leaves the trunk open and some lights on and it drains the battery. Then it's not going to get me anywhere. I used to have trust in this digital alarm clock that plugged into the wall. And I would set it and had the setting on and it would go off daily. And and, and I had trust that thing was obnoxious. I put it on the other side of the room to force him to get out of bed and walk across the room. So if I hit snooze, it was just no good because I was already up and out of bed. And it worked day in and day out and day in and day out. I mean, again and again and again. It was worthy of my trust until we had a bad storm that took out the power. And then my clock had no clue what time it was. And I overslept and I missed a really important thing in my life. Now, I don't trust clocks that plug into the wall because storms happen too often. I trust my phone, and as long as I remember to set it and I remember to put it there, and it's going to wake me up with a very obnoxious sound. It has earned my trust. That's a reasonable thing. I trust certain places like Drake's to provide me with a good quality burger and fries. I don't have a lot of trust or faith that most fast food joints are going to be able to provide food that matches that quality. We all put trust and hope and faith into certain things based on whether they have earned our trust. Every person is a person of faith. Even the most vocal, staunch atheists in our world will admit they have uncertainty and that they have to put faith in their theories. They just think their theories are better, but what they have missed is the faithfulness of Jesus. Friend, I can tell you that I have tested his faithfulness too many times in my life. And he has proved beyond reason that he is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our trust. He is the faithful one. When we're faced with doubt, when we're faced with uncertainty, we really have two options. We can lean in or we can walk away, but be certain of this, that there is no road to spiritual maturity that does not travel through doubt. 
So you can walk away when doubts arise in your faith, but just know that whatever you do choose to put your faith in, even if you call it by a different name, uncertainty will arise. Doubts will arise. Again and again, you'll face questions. So you can walk away or you can lean in. You can press through the doubt. And you may never get all your faith questions answered. In fact, if your journey is like mine, some of your answers will simply be met with more questions, deeper, more complex questions. But what I've discovered again and again is with every question, with every doubt, Jesus compels me to trust because he proves his faithfulness again and again and again even through the uncertainties. So when doubts arise, here's my suggestion. Lean in and press through the doubt. Let your faith grow. Read the Bible and read of God's faithfulness. Hear what he says of you. Get to know God. Get familiar with what he has done and said and get to know him. Journal your prayers and watch how God responds. Watch how he proves himself faithful in your life time and time again. Show up tonight at group launch and join a group. One of the things God uses to grow our faith most is providential relationships with other people. You will see God's faithfulness playing out in their lives and their testimonies shown in their lives, shown through their lives into your life. God will prove his faithfulness through those relationships. Connect with others and see how God is at work there. When doubts arise, and they most certainly will, you need not be afraid. You need not walk away. But look back on God's faithfulness and doubt your doubts. And you'll be able to move forward with courage and with certainty that the faithful one of the cross is the faithful one of your life. And he will continue to prove himself faithful to you. God, we thank you that you are the faithful one, that you are a good and gracious God, that you did not belittle us or kick us aside because of our doubts, that when uncertainty creeps in, you invite us to explore, you invite us to pursue you. You invite our questions and you invite our exploration And you love us through it all. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. That the king of glory who wears the crown of heaven is also the savior of the world who wore the cross for us. Each one and every one of us. We thank you that you have proved yourself faithful time and again. And God, if there are any today who've wrestled with doubt in you, I pray that today would be the turning point when they would begin to doubt their doubts and begin to put their trust in you. That they would explore, that they would dig deep. And God, that this place would be a place where people know their questions are welcome, where they can wrestle through uncertainty because there is a God who we can be certain of. We can be certain of your love. We can be certain of your faithfulness. We can be certain that you are King and leader, and redeemer, now and forever. And we can be certain that in all the bleak days of this world, there will be a day without end where there is joy unspeakable, that there is joy without end forever with you and your glory. God, we long for that day. May we be a place where we 
show the light and the hope as a beacon of hope to this world, inviting others to come and discover your faithfulness. And we pray all of this, that you would get all the glory and honor that you and you alone deserve, Lord Jesus. Amen.